We find ourselves in Acts chapter 28, which means if you're familiar with Acts, that we are at the end of our study of Acts and at the end of our sermon series, Mission of the Kingdom. Acts serves the church as the only explanation for how God could have taken an obscure group of Galileans following an executed Messiah and it become the greatest movement the world has ever seen. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 14. The gospel finally comes to Rome, and the world would never be the same. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 28. This is Paul. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. So we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came from as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, were the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. When they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Isn't that interesting? From the Old Testament scriptures, he was trying to convince them of Jesus. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all all boldness and without hindrance. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. And may that word give us the boldness, like Paul, to preach the good news without hindrance. You may be seated. Jesus was executed as a Roman criminal, buried, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And for 40 days, 
he spent that time on earth with his disciples, preparing them for his departure. And on the 40th day after the resurrection, he was ascended. Ascended where? To the right hand of God the Father, where he would reign and rule heaven and earth. But how would Jesus reign and rule heaven and earth if he's up in heaven? Well, he would do it through his people, the church, through the promise of the Holy Spirit. The 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven at the Jewish feast of Pentecost, Jesus sends the promised Holy Spirit to fill the church, empowering them to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is reigning and ruling at the right hand of God the Father. And that Jesus' promise is this, that his church would take the message of the good news of the kingdom to Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and the other most parts of the world. In the book of Acts, we have seen the unparalleled movement and mission and message of Christianity spreading throughout Judea, spreading into Samaria, spreading into Asia and Europe. It is spreading all over the known world, but it is yet to reach one city until now, the city of Rome. Rome was known as the epicenter of the universe, the capital of the empire. And the gospel is now, through Paul in chains, reaching the kingdom of this world. So the question is, what happens when Paul, bringing the message of the kingdom of God, clashes with the message and the mission of the kingdom of this world? Christianity continues to explode. And I want us to see here in the closing chapter of Acts why Christianity was and is and will always be an unparalleled movement marked by an unparalleled message, an unparalleled mission, and an unparalleled Savior. When the gospel comes to Rome, it brings with it a message and a mission that is unparalleled. First thing I want us to point out And to see here in Acts chapter 28 is that when Christianity comes to Rome, it produces a family. When Christianity spreads throughout the known world, it reverses the curse. It changes the earth. And Babel is reversed. And humanity is not only reconciled to God, but humanity through the gospel and the message of Christianity is reconciled to one another Paul has been on three missionary journeys. He's been arrested and tried in Jerusalem for causing a riot and for heresy. He appeals to Rome and he's in chains brought to Rome. And as soon as he is brought to Rome, well, actually about 100 miles outside of Rome, we're told in verse 15 who he's greeted by. It says in verse 15 that he's greeted by his brothers, Was that his biological brothers, his biological family? No, it's his friends. But you see what happens when the message of Christianity spreads and the gospel takes root, it produces a spiritual family that is unparalleled, bringing enemies together, bringing people that would never uh, equate with each other, that would never eat with each other and commune with each other and have fellowship with each other. The gospel has the power to produce an unparalleled family. These men 
are considered his brothers. And what do these men do? These brothers bring him in and for seven days take Paul in and they care for him and they treat him as if he were like their family. But then it goes further. It says that after seven days of these men treating Paul as if he were part of their family, Paul begins to go from where he was staying and begins to travel to Rome first stopping at the Forum of Appius and then the three taverns. And what happens? An entourage forms. The entourage, fit for a conquering general. This is the entourage that greets Paul. You see, it was custom in the ancient Near East that when a conquering war hero or a conquering victor would approach a city, that he would have a parade that he would have an entourage that would gather outside of the city and march together in victory into the city. The conquering victor, the conquering general, would have the spoils of war behind him, men and women in chains. But we see what the gospel does here. The gospel reverses this entourage. Instead of the conquering war hero having his men and women in chains, The conquering war hero is in chains. You see, Paul enters into Rome victorious with the message of the gospel, and it's he himself that finds himself in chains. And what's so remarkable about this entourage is that men and women all throughout the region gather with Paul, and they're willing to be identified with him. And what's so significant is that they understood that being identified with the Apostle Paul meant it put their lives on the line. That they were identifying with a Roman criminal. That Paul was an enemy of the state. But that's what the family of God does. You see, the family of God does not jump ship when our brothers and sisters are flat on their back. But Paul in chains, they say no. We are our brother's keeper because the gospel reverses the curse of Eden and they are willing to risk their lives, their identity, their credibility all on the lines because this is how the family of God operates. The message of Christianity produces an unparalleled family. This is the message and the mission of the family of God. And look what fruit it produces It says that after experiencing the family of God and the care from his brothers and sisters in verse 15, it says, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. You see, when the family of God is at work, we shouldn't be less encouraged. We should be more encouraged. It says that Paul's courage rose in light of being with the family of God. Is that what God would say about this community, this family here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church? That when we gather together for worship, when we meet with each other throughout the week, that our courage rises because we have experienced the sweet fellowship and the sweet community of God's people. Christianity produces a family that is unparalleled, bringing people together so that we experience the goodness of God, not just individually, but we experience the goodness of God together in community. The second thing that Christianity does is that it grows through suffering. 
We need to understand that Christianity always has and always will advance because of suffering and tribulation. I mentioned it a few weeks ago that the great church father, Tertullian, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is 2,000 years of men and women willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel that has caused the advancement of the gospel. Think of the testimony of Paul and his suffering. Paul's arrested, imprisoned, threatened with assassination, shipwrecked, almost drowned, almost killed by soldiers, poisoned by a snake, and even arrives in Rome in chains. But what's amazing is that the predominant worldview of the global church is something called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel that teaches, I'll do my part and God better do his part. I'll come to church and read my Bible and I'll give my tithes and offerings, but God better do his part to bless me. Where did we get off thinking that it was God's job to bless us and not keep us from adversity and suffering? You see, the whole message of Paul is that the kingdom of God advanced and the message of Christianity advanced because of his suffering For two years, he was chained to a Roman guard. Every day, for two years. How many guards came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because Paul had nowhere to go, but he suffered in chains and shared the gospel nevertheless. Do you know the letters of Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians were written while Paul was in chains in Rome? Thank God that Paul did not wish away his suffering, but God used his suffering to advance the kingdom of God exponentially. And see, the problem is in the North American church, when we live according to the worldview of the prosperity gospel, as soon as suffering comes into our life, what happens? We shake our fist at God, we rail against God, and you even hear people say, I refuse to believe in that type of God. No, God actually uses suffering and tribulation and adversity to sanctify us, but to also advance his message and his kingdom exponentially. Do not, church, resist suffering and adversity because it has always been how the gospel advances. Christianity produces an unparalleled family. Christianity advances through suffering. And third and lastly, We see in Acts 28 that Christianity cannot be stopped. When Paul finally arrives in Rome in verse 17, it tells us what Paul does. He first gathers the leaders of the Jewish community because he believes that the salvation has first come to the Jews and he shares the gospel. And how does he share the gospel? By using the Old Testament scriptures. It was the only scripture they had. And he uses the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and he uses the prophets to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that the long-awaited Jewish Messiah has come in the person of Jesus, and he's lived his perfect life, and he's obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf. 
and he was crucified on the cross and raised on the third day, and he offers salvation for you to be reconciled to God and experience salvation both now and forevermore. We're told that some believed, but some didn't. And it seems that the book of Acts ends in a rather anticlimactic way. That simply it's over. What happens to Paul? What about the message and mission of Christianity? Well, church history tells us what happened to Christianity and to the Apostle Paul. Paul stays in Rome for two years, never tried because no witnesses ever came forward. And eventually he takes the gospel and he goes to Spain, the uttermost parts of the earth. In 64 AD, Rome catches fire. Who's to blame? Emperor Nero. But Emperor Nero needs a scapegoat. So who does he blame? He blames the Christians. He has the apostle Peter caught and arrested and crucified. But Peter, because he does not consider himself worthy to be crucified like his Lord and Savior, asked to be crucified upside down. A little later, Paul's arrested as well. But because at the time he is a Roman citizen, he can't be crucified according to Roman law. So instead, they take off his head. Peter and Paul, the great apostles and leaders of the church, executed. But guess what? It doesn't stop the advancement of the gospel. It doesn't stop the movement of Christianity. You see, the whole point of the story of Acts is that it's not about the Apostle Paul, but it's about this single message that nothing will ever stop the movement of the gospel. That the story of the book of Acts is that nothing can stop the kingdom of God. And in verse 31, the very last verse of the book of Acts, it says, in light of all of the opposition that the church faced, that Paul continued to preach with boldness and without hindrance. The message of the book of Acts is simple. You can kill the apostles. You can kill the pastors. You can kill the Savior, but nothing will stop the spread of the kingdom of God. Amen. God reminds us that you can threaten my people, you can beat them, but nothing will stop them. You can make Christianity illegal, you can toss it out of the public square, you can forbid it in the classrooms and mock it at the universities, but nothing will stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a closing word to the 21st century church in light of the book of Acts. We need to be confident and hopeful. There are way too many Christians that are doomsdayers. It's because you watch too much news. But way too much of us, may too many of us, are doomsdayers. We need to believe and have a long view of history that the church of Jesus Christ has faced great opposition and empires have 
been raised and empires have fallen. Kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone and there the church of Jesus Christ remains because Christianity is an unparalleled movement unlike anything this world has ever seen. 2,000 years of historical precedent of the church of Jesus Christ entering into the darkness, a beacon of hope in an upside-down world. Do you not remember the words of Jesus before he left? You will be, not I hope you will be, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you will be my witnesses, Jesus reminds us, to Fort Lauderdale and Pompano Beach. You will be my witnesses to Coral Springs and Davie. You will be my witnesses to Broward, Dade, and Palm Beach County. You will be my witnesses to this nation and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God can't be stopped. What happens when the gospel came to Rome? The gospel won. It always does. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I pray that we would be a hopeful people, not with a blind optimism, not with a pie-in-the-sky theology, but with the Word of God grounding us, that the victory has been won, that Jesus is reigning and ruling, and he reigns and rules through us, the people of God. May we be a people that are utterly dependent upon your Spirit, grounded in the word of truth that lead lead the people of God Lord would you lead us lead us according to that spirit lead us according to that good word lead us and empower us according to the gospel so that we might be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that we might bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the dark corners of our world so that the whole world might know that salvation is found alone in Jesus Christ. Lord, we have a message and a mission and a savior that is unparalleled. The greatest movement this world has ever heard, the greatest movement this world has ever witnessed, may we believe that you are on your throne still working through your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching at home that has never experienced salvation, may they not be like the men and women that heard the word and didn't believe. But Lord, if they sense that you're softening their heart and opening their eyes and opening their ears, may they understand that your salvation and your spirit can't be resist, resisted. And may they fall on their knees today, not tomorrow, but today, and experience your salvation. May men and women, boys and girls, come home and enter into the kingdom of God through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And may we, the church, that know of this great salvation, understand our calling and the privilege we have to advance this mission and message to the ends of the earth. So lead on. O King Eternal, it's in Jesus' name I pray this prayer. Amen.